Delivering a new model for work, Swiggy told its employees they can moonlight, meaning they can take up another job if they want and get a second salary. In contrast, just a few months back, employees at Infosys were shocked to find out that the HR was imposing an old but rarely used clause that barred them from joining any competing firm for at least six months. From flexible contracts to fierce non-compete, all of this is unfolding as companies grapple with record attrition, people are quitting jobs within very short durations, and demand for work balance flexibility has never been higher. As we return to work post-pandemic, different work modules are being put in place by different offices. From hybrid to moonlighting to a compulsory cool-off. Welcome to the new office. When it comes to being paid fairly, I don't think it's been done very sincerely because those jobs those opportunities pay far more better but then yes of course there's this concept of stability which is missing i personally believe until and unless your employees working for you and giving you 100% then i think it is completely justified to let your employee moonlight because what the person does in his or her free time is completely up to their will i used to work at a production house and the good part about that place was that we were allowed to take up other projects as well and i think moonlighting is a great initiative because i mean just think about it that's how startups were made people did their regular day jobs and hustled on the side so that they could build something that they wanted to and take it ahead it's friday august 12th i'm your host ratna bhushan from the economic times and you're listening to green light for moonlighting and more on the morning brief let the show begin on this episode with me is someone who said the workplace universe buzzing as he introduced the moonlighting policy girish menon head of human resources at swiggy exclusively on the morning brief with details about india's first legit moonlighting policy let me start by asking you girish what prompted all the change and is the single 9 to 5 job now out of fashion see i'm quite positively intrigued by what this is triggering right it's not like everybody is rushing to find the second gig now frankly it's about a lot of people who have the skill and who can help another organization help themselves earn some more money or do it for passion i think there are a lot of people who can do it what we've done is to really enable it now if you ask about productivity my question back to anybody would be how you ensuring productivity is happening in today's world it's almost like a placebo we almost think that okay just because someone is employed with us for 9 hours that they're productive that's not true right so you will have to have mechanisms to ensure that people are engaged in an organization and you enable them and the productivity automatically happens right you can't wake up one day and tell i'm going to make everyone productive it doesn't happen that way but what led to the moonlighting policy was it research data insight or something else all right so i think um, 
people create policies with uh, research many a times like 99.9% of the times but 0.1% uh, of the time you you do tend to read the tea leaves right it's almost like what will the future look like so you do take intuitive calls to make certain policies so i would say moonlighting is probably a mix of a healthy portion of intuition because this is the fear the way we felt that the workplace will evolve and uh, people with skill will have opportunities to do side gigs or what they call the side hustle and why not normalize it is something that you know was coming to our heads so it really came from a simple question of you know instead of asking why for everything that we do start asking why not and that's the same principle that we used even for our remote first policy which we actually were one of the first in the industry to go remote first in back in november of 21 even there it was backed by voices from the organization and a little bit of intuition right so i would say that uh, moonlighting did come alive more from what we believe will be the future of work and less about research or data to really back it at this point in time we will quiz girish a little more on the policy itself but let me bring in ajit isaac one of india's most respected hr executives and founder and chairman of business services provider questcorp ajit we've heard of work from home work from anywhere hybrid compulsory cool offs and now moonlighting how has all of this disrupted workplaces in my dad's time there was only one job one company one boss all his life and all of that has changed in the current generation so what's essentially happened is that permanent hire which was the, the only method by which employee contracting was done has morphed into temp staffing further on into outsourcing of jobs task based and output oriented uh, contract systems and finally moonlighting if you take 500 million the size of the workforce only about 22% of that is in the is in the organized sector and it's only in the organized sector that you are able to to contractually give moonlighting assignments and to also observe and supervise them in a structured manner uh, the large part of the indian economy still remains unorganized and it's difficult to enforce contractual systems there what we're referring to here is basically about uh, between 10 to about 20 million of the workforce of 500 million where uh, the context of moonlighting is applicable and where the economy is moving in the direction let's get in somya bhattacharya my colleague and senior editor who's the final word on the reportage on everything hr here at et somya is this a post pandemic stress disorder for workplaces see things started to change during the pandemic itself because we had the entire digital disruption happening and the resultant attrition and employee turnover especially in digital skills roles meant that a lot will change in the workplace so uh, since the pandemic has also changed the way we work uh, the strategies to retain employees have changed too so let's look at the entire great resignation piece it started last year and that's when organizations were prompted to think on their feet about how to find innovative solutions to stem attrition on the employee perspective the most important factors at work for employees are how their career path is panning out and of course the compensation packages so for sectors that are witnessing high employee turnover like e-commerce and it services we've seen companies give payouts and promotions to deal with the employee exodus 
For instance, in the technology sector, counter offers with more than 50% salary hikes and in some cases even 80 to 100% uh, hike became the norm at the peak of attrition when attrition levels were around 30% or so. So all that happened during the great resignation phase, some of which is still continuing, seems to have rationalized now. The attrition levels are not as high as they were. And there seems to be some semblance of sanity in how payouts are happening right now. Interesting point, Soumya. There seems to be some semblance of sanity, finally. Which are the other companies or sectors resorting to such disruptive employee policies? So when we talk about differentiated strategies, these are quite varied. And these can relate to mode of work. These can also relate to employee policies. And these are also about employee benefits. So one of the best strategies companies have discovered is letting employees decide how they work. And that has changed a lot of narrative in Indian workplaces. The decision-making has been decentralized. So at companies like Microsoft India, managers and team, they establish team agreements, which means that they are balancing individual with team needs and define how the team will work together. A lot of companies have also done away with rules around mode of work. Companies like Deloitte are leaving it to individual partners, team leaders, and reporting managers to decide when a team is required to meet at the workplace, who needs to come in, among other things. We also have the second bucket of employee policies. And these are not just retention strategies in my view. For instance, you spoke about Swiggy's moonlighting policy. This policy seems to be also aimed at presenting a differentiated employer brand. While new workplaces are bringing in more freedom and flexibility, will all of that be able to stop the steep attrition is the question. Let's hear from Swiggy's HR head, Girish. What are the highlights of the moonlighting policy? Is it, for example, for all employees? Yeah, it's absolutely for all uh, full-time employees of Swiggy. It's a very inclusive and enabling policy and not a restrictive and a draconian one. So we want to get the spirit of this policy right and less about the letter of the policy. So we've kept it very open and uh, people can use any of their skills to participate in the moonlighting policy, be it professional skill like if there's a coder, data scientist, behavioral economist, or any kind of certification or skills that people would have acquired like coaching, counseling, or vocational skills, or you know professional arts. So if somebody is a you know a dancer and they want to teach dancing, or if somebody is a professional sportsman, they want to teach uh, mixed martial arts, be it anything. And if you look at moonlighting policy in isolation, it looks like okay, what is this new policy about? But it all the dots will connect because we launched a policy called Learning Wallet sometime back. It's more than a year now. So people can choose to learn these skills and we sponsor them. So if you see, we as a company, we are okay to trust in our employees. Absolutely fine. And I think that's the right thing to do and develop them as an individual and enable them to bring their holistic self to work. I think that's the future of work and that's precisely what we are trying or attempting to do at Swiggy. So the policy includes all skills and it is very inclusive. And, and I'll, I'll leave it at that, right? Because like I told you, we want to get the spirit of the policy right. Some are saying it may not be easy to monitor conflict of interest. How will you deal with any, so to say, breaches of trust? 
See, I would also urge all of us to think where is this question coming from, right? I think there is a mindset or at least all of us live in a world where we almost build policies for the uh, less than 1% who'll flout it across. That's how many policies don't happen. So this policy comes from a large portion of trust that we believe that, you know, employees will be responsible. Having said that, employees will declare what moonlighting gigs or projects they're getting into. And we are very clearly defined that anything which is conflicting to our business, which is either it's a competition or is an intellectual property of Swiggy, or if they're uniquely advantaged by being a part of Swiggy and hence they have access to certain information, future plans, etc. These are not allowed. And I'm sure with more time, we'll get better at it. People also understand what's allowed, not allowed. And it's about just being patient for you know, a couple of quarters for employees to really understand what they should not be doing and uh, what they can absolutely do. And if people do breach, I would say it's like any any code of conduct breach, right? Any policy breach in any company. There's always a disciplinary committee. All these years, moonlighting has been hushed, unethical and companies have taken action against employees doing so instead of encouraging it. We've come a long way, haven't we, Ajit? There are a few factors that are influencing this change. One is there is a need for more diversity in companies. Companies are particularly going out to hire women, caregivers uh, and other marginalized sections of society. So they want to be accommodative in the way they have their uh, contracts created and to give them flexibility in employment. The second one is the ability to supervise all of these people. Previously, if somebody was moonlighting, there was little or no way by which they could be supervised. The third is that employment contract systems and the way workforce and the gig economy can uh, invoice and collect their salaries has also become more distinct. So all of this contributes to the legitimization of the contracting process in moonlighting, one. And second is that the need for greater salaries of uh, of employees, you know, with inflation being what it is, and salaries not really going up in proportion to inflation sometimes, it creates a situation where employees are forced to go look for secondary employment opportunities in addition to their primary one that will help them pay off debts or create a larger saving structure. The requirement for skill sets, despite the funding winter, as one calls it, is yet to tail off. And we find that the requirement for digital skills or even range technology skills in uh, non-IT companies and regular manufacturing services industries are growing. So you believe policies like moonlighting are not just here to stay, but also grow? So first is that uh, moonlighting will continue to grow. It's a tendency that's come into, or it's a phenomenon that's come into employee contracting systems and it's not going to back off. Second, it's going to grow out of uh, technology-related companies into definitely into the e-commerce segment and possibly into the retail segment and the QSR segment too. So all of these together will employ, you know, anywhere between, let's say, 35 to 40 million people all put together. So that's on one side of the story. The second side is that, you know, as disintermediated businesses grow, you'll find the ability to assign work to specific people and to get outcomes from them. That growth will itself influence uh, moonlighting. Somya, is there a stark difference between how new age and old school companies are working towards retaining talent? New age companies like Swiggy, they are in a better position to roll out such policies. We also have a lifestyle technology brand called Noise. Recently, they have a no questions asked leave policy. 
So employees are allowed to take up up to four weeks of leave in a year and you don't need to specify the reason. In the past, we've also seen Misho roll out a wellness leave policy where you can take up to 365 days of paid leave if an employee or their loved one is impacted by a critical illness. There are pet adoption policies where, uh, you know, companies are giving leave to new pet parents. So the attempt by young new age companies to have differentiated human resource policies is quite prevalent now. This has been happening for some time. So Matto had rolled out a 26-week paternity leave. This was around three years back in 2019. And it's still a rarity in India. The question is, why are these new age companies, why do they manage to do what old school companies take longer to do perhaps? So in terms of HR policies, new age companies seem to be far more agile. Usually these people policies are driven by founders themselves. Startups are more likely to bring about these changes compared to companies that employ thousands or lakhs of employees where any change in policy will require buy-in from multiple stakeholders. So, so it becomes far easier for these new age companies to roll out policies like these. Different companies, different eras, different risk-taking? Yeah, to some extent, yes, Ratna. But having said that, there are old school companies that have pioneered people policies in India. Tata Steel was one of the very first companies to hire those that identify themselves as transgenders. The entire LGBTQ plus inclusion piece is driven by companies which are, uh, by definition, older. Ajit, what's your take on the new versus old? I think there's a great influence that these younger companies are having on older companies. I was recently meeting the founding family uh, members of a solvent extraction company in Bombay. One of the larger ones, they employ about 800,000 people. They don't contract anything out right now. But when I was telling him about how Quest uh, has a multiple uh, range of services, he's eager to come and meet us and talk to us. So the newer companies are showing the way because they don't have historical baggage. They don't have a legacy that they have to deal with. There are no unions, etc. Flexible methods of contracting is now finding its way into the old world economy too. Minefield of data on the kind of attrition levels India is dealing with. Ajit and Soumya, can you break it down? So attrition levels in the tech and services sector has been between, let's say, 25 and 30%. And that uh, is not coming off even now. The, the skill sets requirement in certain areas particularly in big data analytics, et cetera, is continuing to grow. And uh, people are getting offers which are maybe between 30 and 40% greater than what their current salaries are. So compared to the last year, the attrition levels have come down slightly, but they're still high, especially for uh, e-commerce sector, digital skill, and technology sector roles. For digital roles, attrition is high there in the range of, say, 15% to early 20s. Another sector which has actually started to witness high attrition currently is banks. Some banks are witnessing attrition levels of up to 30% as well. And what could be the challenges in monitoring external gigs? I think there are clear challenges in terms of organization culture. Second one is, while you have uh, encompassing contracts, some of the contracts don't cover all sorts of situations. So it will take one or two 
bad apples and maybe some negative situations for organizations to rethink the way they're enforcing moonlighting. The third is uh, managers need to be trained how do they manage gig workers. Final words from you, Girish. You also extended Swiggy's remote work policy to everyone last month. How's it going so far? With the remote first policy that we have already launched, all of us know that large majority of our corporate staff work in cities. And any city, and let's take example of Bangalore, on an average, people are going to save anywhere between one to two hours of commute in a day, right? And and it's just not about the time saved. It's the energy that people will have because they don't have to do this five days in a week. Most of them, uh, including me in an earlier world where it was not remote first, the weekends were largely forest. I think now there is a lot of energy that people will save. It's not about productivity or getting maximum out of someone. It's about bringing the holistic self to work. And the more people do things that make them happy, it's only going to benefit all of us, not just Wiggy, but the ecosystem at large. So the way we'll have to make them productive is not by really putting a gun on the head or increasing the targets. That's not the way we will do. It's, It's all about ensuring that people are engaged and we enable them. And I think this policy will create further trust in the employees. And I actually see they'll be getting better at whatever they do. So I'm quite positive in terms of what this will lead to. And uh, be nice to have a chat after a year uh, in terms of what really happened because of this policy. So that's the date, Girish. Mark your calendar. Thank you, Girish, Ajit and Soumya for your insights. Undoubtedly, one year from now, as Girish suggested, the HR landscape will surely see sweeping changes. My take is all of this post-pandemic hustle is still in the experimental stage. Some policies will be a smashing success, while others find themselves back on the table. But one thing is for sure, offices will never be the same again. Welcome to the future of work. I'm Ratna Bhushan and you've been listening to Greenlight for Moonlighting and more on The Morning Brief. This episode was produced by Vinay Joshi from The Economic Times and Swati Joshi from Awaz. Sound editor, Indranil Bhattacharji from The Economic Times and Sondarya Jayachandran from Awaz. Executive producers, Anupriya Bahadur and Arijit Barman from The Economic Times. We hope you enjoyed listening to the episode. Do share the episode on your social media networks. The Morning Brief airs every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. Do tune in to ET Play, our latest platform for all audio content, including the morning brief. Thank you for listening and have a nice day ahead. <laughs>